0: Everybody, Will How here with the Roots Rednecks and Radicals. And I have a fantastic show lined up for you today. But before we get to that, quick reminder to hit subscribe on whatever app you're listening to this show on. If you're listening to this, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, whatever it may be. Also, if you're on social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, youtube i'm on all those apps now and uh, you can find me there just search up roots rednecks and radicals and uh, give me a follow that would be amazing now to this show i had a chance a couple weeks ago to go out to elko nevada which is in far eastern very rural nevada and go to the national cowboy poetry gathering this is the third time i've been there and it is chock full of fascinating tidbits about western culture which is probably far more diverse than uh, than you think it might be and uh, there's all kinds of amazing stories artists poetry uh, just just amazing stuff out there so uh, I hope you enjoy this episode and uh, here you go the National Cowboy Poetry Gathering has been happening since 1985 the event started in true grassroots fashion started by artists who have a passion for Western culture and wanted a place to celebrate Elko, Nevada has been the home to this pioneering arts and culture event which has spawned dozens of other cowboy poetry gatherings around the country. As a lifelong Nevadan born and raised in this beautiful state, it makes me proud that this event calls our state home. I've attended the festival three times now, and each time I go, I'm struck by how much I learn about Western culture. To me, it's one of the least understood parts of American history, partly because it's been steeped in mythology from the movie industry but the true history of the West is stranger than fiction and more diverse than most people think. The gathering celebrates points of view from various backgrounds, Black, Latino, women, and Native Americans. It brings together these voices and weaves a beautiful tapestry of the history of the West. This year was no exception. I had a chance to talk to many artists out of the Cowboy Poetry Gathering about their music, their songwriting, and their connection to the West. The first artist i want to bring to you is a singer-songwriter from new mexico her name is lara montanares and she was there with a couple of other musicians from a band called lon pinon which is a regional mexican-american band that plays traditional roots mexican music i talked to them about many things but mainly about her take on how mexicans and mexican americans have influenced western culture Her music is deeply rooted in New Mexico and New Mexican culture, and she tells stories from that region. This is Laura and her band sharing her perspective on how Mexico and Mexicans have influenced Western culture.
1: Well, that's a huge subject, <laughs> uh, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, well, one of the things that I've encountered throughout my life, and especially when I wasn't in New Mexico, was people being very surprised that I spoke Spanish, um, uh, just because of the way I looked, uh, I'm, I'm tall, fair-skinned, you know, um, And I would often get the question, uh, this is from mainly friends that I would make from, that had come into the country from Mexico or El Salvador or other places like that. And they would say, how do you speak Spanish? And I would say, well, I'm from New Mexico. (laughs) And they would say, no, they would like be like, it would just kind of go over their heads. Like they don't understand what that meant. They'd never been to New Mexico. Um, And, So usually I'd have to end up saying something to the effect of, you know, my family didn't cross the border, the border crossed us. So I guess, yeah, the the Latino or Hispanic or whatever you'd like to call it, um, Mexican, Mexican American influences, it feels just like, we've been here for a long time. So it's it's a little bit less that we have influenced the West and a little bit more that we are the West. <laughs> I mean, not we're not the only thing in the West, of course, but you know, like uh, you know, even in the in the in the cowboy culture, it's, it's, there's a lot of Mexican uh, words, and uh, you know, working with horses, and uh, you know, a, a mecate is a, you know a certain type. There's el bozal, like that's a like a harness thing you put on a horse. Like there's all these words within the lingo of ranches. That is in Spanish, and right. that uh, yeah. Do you guys have any other thoughts on that? <laughs> I was just thinking, who doesn't want a burrito before a hard day's work? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the food, yeah, I mean, the food, Yeah. Food, so yeah. Um, no. Anything else, Jordan? More about the music, maybe? Yeah. Um, what you've encountered here? Yeah, I guess musically, you just see that. Um, you can just see what a mix of people and cultures it's been uh, and, and, and still is present in all those things just like the words and, and
2: the food and, uh, and, and maybe it is a, a case where like you said there's that sense that now the story is getting a little wider to remember that.
0: Another artist I had a chance to talk to is Margot Silker. Margot is native to the west of the United States, she currently resides in Oregon, and she has this knack for writing songs about place and that have a sense of space mainly in the West and the landscapes of the West. She's a big fan of the water and writes about rivers and lakes and spaces like that. She has a great quote from Joy Harjo about how songs are maps sometimes. And I just thought that was really interesting. And another thing that she talked about was the Basque. If you don't know about the Basque, the ethnicity of the Basque people, it's really, really interesting. They're from the, the region of, of Europe between Spain and France. They have their own distinct culture language food dress and many of the Basque have inhabited parts of the west in nevada and idaho and utah montana and it's just really interesting how they have influenced the culture of the west and i was happy that she talked about that so here's margot silker all right. So, yeah, um, just listening to you last night, um, the, the songs, you, you had the, the song about um, steelhead trout. Um, you have that song called That River. A lot of your songs have a, a sense of, um, of, of space and, and, and places, and, and it's kind of rooted in, in the West. And so I was just um, kind of uh, wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, about your songwriting and where that comes from.
2: Um, yeah, well, I, uh, I certainly do write about like the, the earth itself, you know, and kind of my place um among the the water and um i i grew up with like a lot of i was definitely a water baby and i would go to like santa cruz and i'd go to like rivers in the mountains of california like that was my my most comfortable place was being near water and as i've gone out and traveled a lot and kind of i make these arcs where like go out and spend time far away from the West, but then kind of make my way back. And it's, um, yeah, place like, um, Joy Harjo was talking about how songs are maps sometimes. And it really, it was kind of crazy because that resonated with me so deeply. And I do feel like my my songs um, are, I tend to try to like spatially place things
0: right yeah yeah I, I appreciate that so much because there's so many songs that are, are written um just kind of historically but they they tend to be more east coast you know like georgia on my mind and there's all these you know uh, in, in the south and whatnot and it i yeah. that the west is is so unbelievably beautiful and there's so much to write about um i just really appreciate it when when artists um you know whether they be poets or or songwriters you know um write about that kind of stuff so I think that's really cool
2: yeah i'm kind of trying to i guess like um throw some like tributes to place into the canon that are yeah places that maybe haven't yet been um like that haven't yet been like established in the folk music canon you know
0: yeah for sure. Well, you, you also talked about um, uh, writing about the Great Basin and uh, Basque country, and there's a reference to um, uh, the Basque in, in, in that river as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I'm from Carson City and huge Basque country in that, oh. that whole Nevada, even out here to Elko, oh, a lot of yeah. Basque influence. So I was really interested in, in, in where that, that Basque um, and, and also the Great Basin thing, where that came from.
2: <laughs> so I, yeah, it kind of came about, I mean, when I was a kid, my dad, um, would take us to Basque restaurants. That was like his favorite, um, his favorite thing to like it, as a family. If we were on a trip, we would stop at like stop for dinner at a Basque restaurant, and it was kind of just in the back of my mind. It was like, um, oh, the Basque country, interesting. Um, and then I was um, in my junior year of college. I studied abroad, and I chose to go to Bilbao, in the Basque country. Like, I had remembered that. You know, it seemed like my dad really liked that place, and. Um, He'd studied in Spain. He was in Madrid in 1971, okay. and I wanted to like do the same as he did. Um, so I studied in Bilbao, and when I got there, the culture and just the, like the depth of like of culture guarding that they practice in the Basque country, like it totally blew my mind because.
0: Is that in the in the, in the Pyrenees in, in Europe? Um, it's on the coast. Okay. Um,
2: in the north of Spain.
0: Okay, gotcha. Sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No
2: problem. Yeah, just yeah. Um. So, yeah, I uh, I just found the culture to be so devoted to place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And so, as we know, place is very, you know, interesting right. and um, important to me. And, like, the Basque culture just, it seems so rich. And, like, they all seemed very devoted to their identity. And they're outliers, of course. But the general consensus is, I mean, even to a fault, like, the Basques say they're the center of the universe. <laughs> and, like, right. you know, the creator, they invented everything. And, I mean... To their credit, like they, they have they have an amazing like track record of withstanding outside influence, and I mean, resisting against like the Roman Empire. Like right. they're a pre-Roman people, and that's like an impressive um, feat to yeah. carry on to the modern day. And the way that they carry the language down to the like their children are all taught how to speak Basque, and that language preservation is also something I'm very passionate about because in the West like we see some like language revitalization of indigenous peoples of like the American West. And that's a cool parallel that I got to see, kind of, you know, as I mentioned, like you go out and come back and have a new lens, right? So when I went to the Basque Country, I saw the way that they cherished like their, they were, they wanna preserve their culture And in the West, I want to see people preserve their culture too. And that's part of like the gathering here. It's like honoring the people that were here before the Shoshone, the Paiute, like, I mean, you see it like Carson Valley. Like, I'm sure you like hear all, I'm sure you've seen and heard a lot of cool stories. And
0: um,
2: so that's kind of a neat parallel. I don't know. I'm not Basque, but I feel, I felt really embraced by their culture when I was there and.
0: I also had a chance to chat with an artist named Ismay, who's from Northern California. Ismay grew up around rural culture, but didn't get into ranching until adulthood. Riding horses is how they got started as a kid, and Ismay fell in love with that at a very young age. Ismay's really into land restoration, and that's really how they got involved in ranching and have been working on a sheep ranch for the last 10 years. Their music is an eclectic blend of many influences, It doesn't sound like traditional Western or country music, but I think it blends really well. It has a sense of space around it. It somehow sounds like a big open sky feels, if that makes sense. Lots of folk and bluegrass influences in the sound as well. This is my conversation with Ismay. Yeah, I was wondering if you could start off just telling us um, a, a little bit of um, your your history as far as your, your family ranch and um, uh, growing up and, and your connection to, you know, western uh, landscapes and, and, and all that sort of stuff.
3: Well, the biggest thing that connected me with ranching through my whole life is just riding horses. I've been riding horses more than pretty much doing anything else since I was four years old. But I really got into ranching when I was a. I let say that, I got... I really got into ranching actually because I was really passionate about environmental issues and I was excited about potential of ranches to help with land restoration. Mm -hmm. And so when I was about um, 20 years old, my mom bought a ranch and she and I worked on it together ever since the first day, so that was about 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah, and so my connection to ranching is really through my family and through the, you know, these last 10 years I've spent working on the family ranch in Petaluma. Okay.
0: Gotcha, so you didn't grow up doing that, it was was kind of a later in life kind of deal?
3: Yeah, I mean, I grew up working cows a little bit here and there with horses, so I grew up around ranches and and riding kind of out and about, and I went to a high school where everybody rides western and takes care of horses, Um, so I had a lot of experience with that, but my family wasn't a ranching family growing up, we were more of like an urban family, And, and just was a, you know, a way to find my place in the world was to get into ranching. Right.
0: Well, the, the, the album, uh, I, I think it's the most recent album, was recorded in a barn. Is that right? Okay. And um, yeah, I just thought that was an interesting thing. And I was wondering if you talk about the, the decision to do that and uh, maybe how that space impacted the music that you recorded.
3: So my, my most recent record is called Songs of Sonoma Mountain, and it's recorded at my family's ranch. It's on a Sonoma mountain. That's what the mountain's called. And we decided to make it in the old sheep barn, which we kind of use as our party barn now. There's not sheep in it anymore. The sheep are in a different barn now. <laughs> And so, you know, I'd made a couple records in recordings in studios, and I was really interested to see what being in that place on the ranch would do to the sound of the music. Also, most of the material on the record is songs about living on the ranch and my life there. And so it felt interesting to actually make the record on the very place that I'd written about and was so important to me. So we got a bunch of gear that we rented, some, a lot of analog gear that we rented from a studio that I'd worked in before. And we just kind of set it up in the barn, recorded mostly one thing at a time, and made every single song on the record there. And there's also, um, not, not online, but on the vinyl and the CDs, I include a story that I wrote, uh, a true story about living on the ranch.
0: Oh, cool. I like that. Well, the, um, the the first song you played had this really cool eclectic kind of feel. Like it, it reminded me of Souf John Stevens a little oh, bit, um, yes. the guitar and whatnot. Um, I'm I'm just really it made me um, interested in influences and and, and sounds that really in, inspire you.
3: Yeah. A lot of my training in music comes from bluegrass, I kind of started playing music by playing bluegrass music with bluegrass people and folk songs. And so that's kind of the biggest influence. I think that when you listen to the guitar playing that I have, um, especially more recently you'll hear a lot of that influence of the rhythm playing, bluegrass, but you know I'm also really influenced by newer forms of music and always trying to push the boundary of where I don't really know what I'm doing, like, with that song I don't totally know what it is. Um, It feels like very much the kind of multicultural California influence that you get, where you're listening to all different kinds of music and then it kind of feeds into the music, but it's hard for me to say exactly what I'm doing, (laughs) but that's what I hope to do. I hope to always be pushed to the edge of not really knowing exactly what I'm doing, but just going for it anyways.
0: Pip Gillette is an artist who's been coming to The Gathering for many, many years, almost back to the beginning of the festival. And during one of his performances, Pip shared a story about a man named Murtis Dightman. Now, Murtis Dightman was a rodeo star from the 1950s, and he was a legendary bull rider. Murtis was black and has been referred to as the Jackie Robinson of rodeo. He was segregated in rodeos, especially in the South. Pip told me this amazing story about how he was relegated to parts of the rodeo where no one was watching. Strictly because of his race This fits in so well with the work that Dom Flemons has done with his album Black Cowboys I saw Dom a couple years ago at the gathering. So here's Pip Gillette sharing the story of Murtis Diamond Well, yeah, so the the, the song you sang was about Murtis um, uh, Deitman which was a, um, a, a rodeo star and uh, you told this amazing story about uh, him and, and, and sang a great song about him I was just wondering if you could tell us his story and uh, why you chose to perform that song and and kind of your connection to that story
4: uh, well Murtis who uh, is from Crockett Texas Murtis Deitman and I've known him for a number of years but uh, he was started rodeoing in the 50s and uh, right up into a, he was I think he rode his last bull in the 80's mm-hmm. and uh, Uh, He is a legendary character. He made uh, a couple of movies one year. Uh, He was in that uh, Sam Peckinpah movie, uh, Junior Bonner, or at least he rides in it, you know, Steve McQueen film. He rides in it, and they announce him, you know, and then he was in another film with... uh, Oh, gosh, I can never think of that actor's name. But it was called uh, J.W. Coop okay. was the name of the movie. And he actually has a speaking part in that one. But uh, he went to the national finals seven times. Uh, he started out as a rodeo clown, a bullfighter, actually. Okay. And uh, he used to um, bullfight barefoot. And he could outrun the bulls. Uh, Glenn Orland told me that he was the fastest human being he'd ever seen run. Uh, Glenn Orland, the great... Uh, cowboy singer uh, but Murtis uh, you know he just uh, did amazing things he would ride bulls that had never been ridden and you know and then fly to another rodeo and ride another bull that had never been ridden and it was just uh, quite remarkable uh, so he uh, he went to the finals seven times and he said one time he used to travel with Freckles Brown another rodeo legend right. and uh, they were coming back from Oklahoma City which is where the finals were held in those days mm. and uh, and he said to Freckles, man, what am I gonna have to do to win this thing? And Freckles said, you want me to tell you the truth? And he said, yeah. He said, well, just keep riding like you're riding and turn white. So uh, yeah, he faced a lot of uh, you know, problems uh, in those days and they used to make him ride in the slack uh, when the audience was gone. You know, they would put a, he, he could ride then, but after the, you know, the audience had already left and then they'd have him ride and he would still win sometimes so now, i'm not familiar with that phrase writing in the slack, the what slack is when they you know for example they have so many ropers hmm. Uh, and they have so many ropers that they say this is going to be boring for the audience. Uh-huh. so we'll only have this many in the actual rodeo and the rest of them will ride afterwards gotcha. just because it's you know, sort of a slow thing you know right. It's not like and that, but that's unheard of with bull riders because that's the event everybody wants to see you yeah. know? Sure. So they never do that you know So the rodeo association found out that's what they were doing and uh, they said, well if you're going to hold murders back, then you need to hold two or three white guys back, too, and that Mm -hmm. broke the whole thing up, and then he started, you know, being in the regular rodeo. Yeah. But uh, we, uh, Michael Martin Murphy and Don Edwards and Waddy Mitchell, and my brother and I, Guy, uh, did a fundraising concert in Crockett, which is where, of course, we're from, trying to get some money together to get a statue of Murtis built, Mm -hmm. and uh, of course, the whole community donated money. We weren't the only ones raising money, but uh, we finally got enough to build a uh, beautiful big bronze bust of Murtis, which is, uh, was going to be dedicated in front of the rodeo arena. And uh, Murtis unveiled it, and his uh, mother was there, she was in her mid-90s, uh, his brothers and sisters were all there, and he unveiled it, and it was on the 50th anniversary of the Lions Club Rodeo. and. Uh, 50 years before, he had ridden in that rodeo, in the slack, won, and 50 years later he's unveiling this bust of himself, so that was a lot of fun, a real thrill.
0: So, in the, in the rodeo, they, they made him ride in the slack, and then he ended up winning that, that,
4: that rodeo. Yeah, he, he won all the time. Uh, he, the only place he never won was in the finals. Huh. They just Apparently, they thought that was just too much, you know.
0: That's crazy. That's, that's a fascinating story. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I love that song that you shared last night. Was just,
4: well, like, uh, Waddy Mitchell wrote that with me. Uh, okay. I wrote the music, and Waddy writes the lyrics, of course. Right. So, that was one we put together. Okay that's great yeah, and I'd
0: love to hear I know you've been uh, a part of this gathering for a long time but uh, I'd love to hear just a little bit about the history of, of you coming here and um, yeah just your involvement here
4: well I wish I could be more uh, specific I, I really don't know when the first time we came my brother and I you know I used to perform with my brother and we were the Gillette brothers and uh, he passed away it'll be 10 years this September uh, but uh, we came up together and uh, performed a number of times I just really don't remember what year it was We. Started started and I, I don't even know how many times we've had been here, but uh, right. it's been a very enjoyable long uh, association. Yeah. <laughs> I would love being here.
0: How do you think that the, the gathering influences artists? Um, there's so many poets, musicians and, and, and other types of artists as well. Um, how, how, what do you think the, the impact of this gathering has been on uh, Western culture in general?
4: Well, I think it's been huge. Um, you know, there was no outlet for, for this art form, you know, the, the, the songs were mostly always sung for the guys in the bunkhouse, the guys at the chuck wagon, the, the you know, your family uh, singing out on the front porch, but there was no real place to perform for in front of an audience and uh, so it's been a tremendous uh, influence. I mean, it's inspired people to to take the whole genre up. You know, I think it's inspired a lot of people to get into it, you know, get involved and write poetry and sing songs and write songs and on and on. And it's, and of course it spawned, you know, when, when Elko started. Uh, there were no other, I mean, it was the first gathering of its kind, and after, suddenly they were all over the place. Everybody said, that's a wonderful idea, and they started having them you know, all over the, the United States, really. And certainly, you know, gosh, Texas had a million of them at, at one time. They've, a lot of them fallen off as, as the time has gone on, but uh, uh, it was tremendous, uh, you know, influence.
0: Mike Beck is another artist who's been coming to the gathering for many, many years. He's been a cowboy for most of his adult life and he recently released a song called Nevada is King. It just nails the outdoor vibes of Nevada, desolate, open, hauntingly beautiful, just amazing. A part of the song reflects on the beauty of the Ruby mountains, which is a stunning part of the Nevada landscape. And he reflects on cowboying in this region and how much it affects you, how much the outdoors gets under your skin, as he says. So here's Mike Beck reflecting on his song, Nevada is King. All right, so yes, yeah, so I'd love if you could just talk about that song, uh, Nevada is King. Uh, I heard you perform it yesterday. Mm-hmm. I thought it was beautiful. I love the verse about the Ruby Mountains. Oh, nice. I love the Ruby Mountains. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I just love if you could tell, uh, talk a little bit about that, uh, that song.
5: Well, I first, uh, you know, I was born and raised in Monterey, California. And when I uh, had some friends that were a little older than me that had cowboyed up here in northeastern Nevada and got me a job on this place called the Spanish Ranch, which is family-owned over two million acres and there was like 20,000 mother cows there. It was a big place and um, it they ran a wagon there in the spring and in the fall and in the spring we'd make a whole circle of this entire ranch be out there for about three months, branding calves seven days a week. So we gather them there's no fencing you know you gather them and it's called holding road deer we hold them all up and and you know that you know it was like <clears throat> It was like a Zen retreat because you you know there was no phone, there's no, and this was in the 70s when I first came, and so you get mail maybe once a month or something, but it was really cool because you you know I made 10 bucks a day, and uh, man, you you were just camped out there, and there was a cook, you know, and uh, we slept in. Our bedrolls you know, and uh, we'd get, we'd stay in one place for a while and gather that whole country. And then we'd move camp. We brought about 150 saddle horses with us, so this this was like my uh, Yale, my Harvard, my two years before the mast. It was the you know, and I did it for a couple years there. And then I went to some other places in this northeastern Nevada. And man, this country gets into your blood, and the smell of the sage and and just the the. The, the incredible mysteriousness of Nevada. I, I mean, its the history is beautiful, and so I I got lucky with that song. And it's one of those songs I wrote, and I go, oh, "That's okay." And other people go, "Oh no, that's a good one." Mm-hmm. So um, I had fun cutting it, and. Um, uh, it turned out really, really swell. I was really happy with it. Turned out absolutely. Yeah.
0: So you grew up in Monterey. Did you grow up doing cowboy stuff at all, or is that kind of your introduction to that world?
5: Well, I, I, I. Uh got a, my mom was from Alberta and we lived outside of town so we had our horses at the. I got a horse when I was in third grade so I was like this weirdo that rode every day after school and on the weekends and we had this there was a ranch across from us there uh, Clint Eastwood owns that land now has got some homes and a golf course up there But we could ride all the way over to Carmel Valley and so uh, and then I fell in with a guy uh, well his daughter uh, Eileen Ferzani, I would play some guitar with her. we play, you know, Joan Baez songs, Woody Guthrie songs and Pound Guitars. And so her dad and mom and her whole family, you know, they had a horse operation in Carmel Valley. And so I went to up there to... Uh, um, some stalls. I said, if your dad ever needs help, I need to make some money. And so I went up there and cleaned some stalls and then I saw him starting a horse, you know, getting a horse ready to ride. And and uh, I'd never seen it before and I was fascinated. And I was quite shy back then. And so I asked her dad, his name Roy Roy Frizzani, and I said, can I come back? Are you going to be doing this tomorrow? He says, "Yeah." And I said, "I said, can I come watch?" He said, "Yeah." And so that started it. Mm-hmm. Through him, though, I, he was very influenced by and and spent time with the Dorrance brothers, Tom and Bill Dorrance, who changed the way people think and work about horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, their influence was incredible, and they are cons- they're both gone, and they were considered, you know, the dudes. That had this new approach on working with horses and cattle that was very fitting, and uh, I was blessed to grow up near them. I lived with them. I wasn't really interested in school much, and I lived there. And it, when I look back on it now, it was an old-fashioned mentorship, you know. But. Um, I didn't cowboy until I came up here riding the horses, you know, and, and when I was up up here in About I started a lot of horses at that ranch with these guys that were older than me and and we had a blast. And one was Brian Newbert, he'd worked a lot with the Dorances, so we were on the same page about it. The way we approach these
0: horses, okay. yeah, but they were they were from the Monterey area. Yeah,
5: so Salinas and Monterey. Those okay. guys were, you gotcha. know, yeah, for sure. That's cool. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I love the verse about uh, the Ruby Mountains, and I love the Rubies uh, as well. And I, and I was just wondering about your connection with that. Was that from from cowboying or, or um, hiking, camping? What, what's your connection to the Rubies? Well,
5: when I worked over here in Death, Nevada, on an outfit that had ten thousand head of steers, I could look up and see the Rubies, and and uh, you know, it just uh, I've been up there. I've played at a ranch on the other side uh, in Clover Valley, and and gone up into them some. I'd love to hike that Ruby Crest Trail sometime. Right. Yeah, Maybe too. Yeah. And uh, but no, they're just it's it's like you go up there, you're like you're in Colorado or something. You mm-hmm. know, it's all the quakies and yeah. the water running up there. It's they're gorgeous, and and you know I've been around the state. Um, and there's mountain ranges just I mean Nevada is amazing there's more mountain ranges you probably know than any other state in the Union and there's more mountain ranges in Nevada than Afghanistan Hmm. so that was a little factoid somebody gave me And, (laughs) and so I think this place is beautiful and it's a place where you, there's so much public land we're blessed to have that yeah. to get out and get horseback in and or, or hike or just go out there and go to Hot Springs and you can find one and you know
0: yeah it's beautiful this place is amazing yeah it really is I, I have some friends from Montana and um, and that's one of the things that a bunch of them moved here and that's one of the reasons is the outdoors and, and the access to just everything you know they're and, like it's not like this in Montana you can't just go anywhere you want you know there's, there's just a lot of, you know there's a lot of open land in Montana but a lot of it's owned you know yeah. um, but that's yeah. Uh, yeah, one of the beautiful things about this state. It sure is man
5: this place is amazing.
0: The National Cowboy Poetry Gathering is a true gem of a festival it celebrates Western culture throughout the entire region and if you ever have a chance to make it out to Elko in the wintertime in February which is kind of a stretch for a lot of people uh, I truly recommend you come and check it out you're gonna learn things you're gonna hear amazing music You're going to listen to amazing poetry. You're going to see some art and just hear these diverse and interesting perspectives of the West and Western culture. I hope you enjoyed this. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Just a quick reminder to follow me on social media, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. If you haven't already, like and subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to this. Hit that subscribe button. Leave me a rating and tell a friend. Until next time, everybody. Have a good one.